The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. For the next hour, Monterey College of Law's Dean Mitchell Winnick and law professor Stephen Wagner will discuss current legal events and public policy issues that are affecting our daily lives. They will not provide individual legal advice. If you have a specific legal problem, you're encouraged to contact a lawyer for legal assistance. If you do not have a lawyer, contact the local bar association or lawyer referral service in your community for recommendations. And now, here's Wagner and Winnick on the law. Greetings and welcome to another edition of Wagner and Winnick on the Law. I am San Luis Obispo College of Law Professor Stephen Wagner. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, Dean and President of Monterey College of Law and San Luis Obispo College of Law, Mitchell Winnick. Mitch, good Saturday to you. Good day to you, Stephen. And we had a faculty meeting earlier today and I was able to announce and we're not going to do it every week, but it's actually Monterey College of Law, San Luis Obispo College of Law, and coming this summer is going to be Kern County College of Law. And I showed great deference in allowing you to be the one to roll that out. Now, we, we have to go over the intro because if I have to introduce you as president and dean... <laughs> no, no, um, no. You just have to say uh, a host of law schools. How I, about that? What Maybe. if I... Okay. All right. A host of law schools. Host of hosts. No, it was great. That was a great meeting and everyone got along. It was very cordial. Well, it was very cordial, which is... It's the good. norm, but it, it's our topic today in a way. I was say it's the norm among our group of a very collegiate, professional, respectful group. But we've got a topic today on civility because unfortunately, it is not the norm in many settings. That is true. And you know, Mitch, it's interesting. The American Bar Association places great emphasis on civility, the need for civility, and really the ongoing need for education on the topic. One would think that uh, that should come naturally, but it doesn't always come naturally for people. And some actually find it kind of an art form, ironically. Well, I was going to say, it, it. some think it should come naturally, as folks have heard. I, you know, I'm from Texas. And we would say that's all about the HTs, home training. Home training. And if you training. had the proper HTs, you would know that you would be civil, certainly to your seniors and to your colleagues or... You know, in the South, you might get a smack in the on the bottom for that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so all states have some form of ethics and professional conduct rules embedded that guide how attorneys and practitioners, those that are admitted to the bar, should act at all times. In fact, it's usually shall act, mandatory kind of conduct, and then some is suggested. But uh, our topic today is an interesting one because we could 
cite back to a lot of things we've talked about before, including police and citizen contacts. No question that the, the conversations going on now about the interaction between police and civilians centers around civility and the communication. It's it's We've talked about the laws that restrict certain things, but mo most of the time that's after the fact. I mean, civility goes to the issue of cause, root cause, doesn't it? It absolutely does, and then there's also issues that arise legally that speak to the concern of when uh, uncivil behavior rises to the level of a crime. And there are crimes like resisting arrest and, and verbal assaults and threats and things like that that can rise to the level of a criminal act. That's exactly right. And, and then there's the you know, civil actions for uh, uh, slander, libel. So, I mean... We start with the idea that we have the First Amendment right, right of free speech. So that, that really is a giant umbrella over everything. But what I think we've started to talk about is even under that overarching umbrella of the right of free speech, there are limits. And I think the underlying code, kind of social code behind that starts with this concept of civility. It goes back, Aristotle wrote about civility. He did. And the role in society and the assumption that, that that's, it was a, a personal character. Just like you said, it, he believed that we were innately born with it and that we should promote it. Yeah, I, I saw that quote and then I saw uh, John F. Kennedy's quote also. He spoke to the issue quite eloquently. So there's a you know there's obviously uh, concerns for the need to be civil and engage in civil discourse and in professional lives and just average living quite frankly but in our profession the legal profession I think Mitch we can talk about some of the things that relate to civility and the practice of law that uh, might resonate with really all our listeners actually I think that's right and we can, we can branch from that and talk about the the legal responsibilities and the standards that we see courts and judges impose. But I think we can also branch out a bit and let's just talk about workplace civility because we've talked before about bullying and that gives rise to legal issues of bullying in the workplace, uh, school-based bullying. That's certainly been in the news lately and that, again, has legal implications. Uh, you know, then we can... In Maybe towards the end, talk a little more about, well, what, what's going on? Could you, uh, are there rules for online discourse that could give rise to legal liability or legal rights? And then, and then again, you know, circle back around and what do we think the courts are going to do about it? Sure. And that and the advent of electronic communications and social media and what that has done to the civil discourse in our nation and what it's done legally, because I think you're probably right. It's uh, electronic forms of, of communication can give rise. You, you mentioned the possible tort of defamation or yep. slander. Right. Words matter, certainly. Uh, forums matter and you know one of the things that I I think is important with respect to the practice of law is that we do have an oath and I actually just wanted to read this oath okay which that was taken and it's the California oath upon being sworn in and admitted to practice law in California and I'll read from it it is I solemnly swear or affirm that I will support the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the state of California and that I will faithfully discharge the duties of an attorney and counselor at law to the best of my knowledge and ability. 
As an officer of the court, I will strive to conduct myself at all times with dignity, courtesy, and integrity. And that's the oath that's been in effect since mid-2014. And I tried for voice inflection on the end of the oath because of the dignity and the integrity aspect, which I think is sometimes, unfortunately, a bit of a lost art form. Right. And the, although those are aspirational goals, they can be enforced by a judge. They can. They? they can. So an example would be uh, a flagrant violation, let's say, of a court order, let's say in trial, if uh, a judge rules that certain conduct or certain evidence is deemed inadmissible and an attorney is instrumental in uh, violating that rule. And so it would be contempt, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of a crossover not just the, there. Not just the act of contempt, it's the legal implications sure. of contempt, and it could be result in a fine or... or I was going to say imprisonment, but I guess being... It, it can result in sanctions. In sanctions. And, and one, one sanction that's even probably more potent than the pocketbook sanction sometimes is an evidentiary sanction or having causes of action stricken. So depending upon how flagrant the violation is, it has serious consequences. And you talked about California. As, as our listeners know, I'm originally from Texas. I was practicing law in Texas. I'm licensed in Texas. And, the, and Texas back in the 1980s took a very strong stand and a, a lead on this. They enacted the Texas Lawyers' Creed, and it was supported by the Texas Supreme Court and has actually been adopted by the, the federal courts in Texas. And it says that uh, lawyers should treat clients, judges, and each other with courtesy, candor, cooperation, and, and scrupulous observance. And so, so they're really talking about a high standard of those that to be should be scrupulously observed. I kind of clipped it out of the middle sure. of there, but that that came out of a period of time when there was concern that that lawyers were just getting too snippy with each other, and the the courts were tired of it, and they asked the bar association to draft a lawyer's creed, and they put together a group of lawyers and judges. They spent some time crafting the entire thing, and then the court adopted it. I mean, so that was a very strong statement. Yeah, that signals the seriousness of it for sure. Absolutely, Mitch. And so I think that in, we see it in court. I, I, I have a suspicion that one of the concerns is that when people watch lawyers on television or in the movies, I don't think they see lawyers portrayed with these standards in mind. Do you think that's a no, unfair you know, they statement? don't mention and you know when we've I, talked about this before. <laughs> when I work with interns or I a mentor younger attorneys and I'm in court and we're observing certain things, one of the things that I'll often say to them, uh, as a levity breaker actually, is I'll say, Hey, uh, that's the part they don't show you on TV. Right. Because, right. you know, you're right. The table pounding, the histrionics, and all the conduct that sometimes you see on TV or portrayed in television shows is absolutely improper. Let's pick That's it up exactly when we get right. back. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law on the BizTalk Radio Network and over Voice America. We're talking about the topic of civility. When we return, we will continue with our civil discourse. Don't go away.
Deciding to go to law school brings up questions like, can I afford it? Will I be prepared to take the leap and open my own office when I graduate? I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true with professors who are practicing attorneys and judges. They mentor our graduates. But don't take it from me. Hear what recent graduate Creighton Mandeville says. I wasn't crippled in debt coming out of Monterey College of Law. I came out of it with no debt. I was able to do some working during that time and some savings. So I exited law school with no debt. I did feel prepared coming out of law school. I started helping friends with the issues that came up for them. And Monterey College of Law has so many great faculties and things that there were resources for me. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000. That's 582-4000. Or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. That's montereylaw.edu. For 45 years, the Boys and Girls Clubs of Monterey County have been a vital part of our community. The club's mission is to inspire and empower the youth of Monterey County to realize their full potential to become responsible, healthy, productive, and successful citizens. As just one of the club's programs, more than 12,000 children and families have enjoyed safe after-school care at the Boys and Girls Club's Salinas Clubhouse. The Boys and Girls Club of Monterey County is very excited to announce that Monterey College of Law is providing one full tuition law school scholarship each year to a former Boys and Girls Club participant. For more information about this exciting opportunity, contact President and CEO Donna Ferrero at dferrero at bgmc.org or call 831-757-4412. Beginning with the Continental Congress in 1774, America's national legislative bodies have kept records of their proceedings. Did you know that these records are available to you online for free? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. Congress.gov is the official website for the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. It is published by the Library of Congress and includes the public records of the U.S. Congress, the Government Publishing Office, and the Congressional Budget Office. Remember, members of Congress work for us, and if you want to see what they're doing, go to congress.gov and watch the actual sessions of Congress, or look up any law that's being proposed. That's congress.gov, C-O-N-G-R-E-S-S dot gov. Are you ready to start law school now? If you've just graduated from college or just thinking of changing your career, now is the time to take that first step. Slow College of Law is accepting applications for May 2016. The San Luis Obispo College of Law is an accredited branch of the Monterey College of Law School, founded 43 years ago. You can get a law degree from an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo. Their highly esteemed faculty is comprised of local judges and lawyers. San Luis Obispo College of Law classes are held conveniently in the evenings, and the campus is conveniently located in downtown San Luis Obispo. Let the professionals show you how to make becoming a lawyer a reality. Make today the first step in changing your life. Attend an information session and get answers to your questions. Call Dean of Admission Wendy LaRevere at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org for more information. That's slowlaw.org.
Welcome back to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. You're listening to us over Voice America. Our topic today is civility. And we started by talking about civility within the practice of law, Mitch. But, of course, civility has a place really in many professions and just everyday norms. That's absolutely true. I've got a study here that was published in U.S. News and World Report. And the headline on it is 90% of Americans believe that incivility contributes to the increase of violence in this country. And and that is absolutely something that you and I have talked about before on the incidents that have gone on around the United States this past year, tragic incidents. And then they were exacerbated in several circumstances of a, a tragic incident followed by violence in the community, violence between protesters, uh, and between protesters and police and public officials. And, you know, you and I are the first to defend the First Amendment, the right, uh, the right, freedom of speech, the right to assemble. We are not saying that you shouldn't have that, but the real line that you have to discuss as far as our social standard is, should it rise to the level of not just ugly words, but then violence? Yeah, and I can think of a few examples that I think would resonate with many people. How about road rage? There you go. That's a good question. Incivility communicated through aggressive driving. Of a several ton instrument that can cause terrible mayhem and death. Yeah, there's one example. Yeah. So, and as you mentioned earlier in in the lead-in, words. The words we use matter. You know, this concept, let's, let's break down the concept of civility a little bit. Right. Because I think we, we've done some studies. I, you have the, uh, the article from, I, I think it's uh, U.S. News, right? right. That, yes. That actually has some polling data it in does. it. It does. Let, let's, let's riff off some of that for a little bit. So, like I said, 90% of Americans believe that incivility contributes to violence. 85% of Americans believe that Incivility is dividing our national community and eroding our basic values. I mean, that's that's challenging. It's not taking a stand as to how we define those values. The whole point is to support each other's values. So, you know, the word civility comes from the concept of civic and civil and to be able to value somebody else's ideas even if you completely disagree with them. Yeah, which makes me think about uh, the Petri dish that is the United States of America and the blend, if you know what I mean. And, and the fact that we are host to people with many different tenets, many different beliefs and backgrounds, yet there needs to be some kind of norm. We are a society of laws, right? That's exactly right. So the... the one of the questions then is, so what has happened? So I, I don't think anybody's going to disagree with the premise that there's a perception that things are worse. And we'll, we'll kind of blend a little into politics here since this is still the political season. And there's, that would be, that's just almost too easy, the low-hanging fruit on that. I, I think everybody gets that issue. But, but the, the idea that What's causing it? And one of the concerns, one of these studies says that like 60, 70% of the people blame the internet. So I don't know. What do you think? Is that fair? I mean, you think this, this, it, the, the concept is that much of the discussion on the internet is anonymous. You yeah. do it under a fake name or under a little code and that it's easier to be rude 
and mean and outrageous if there's no accountability. I think that's a legitimate point because when one is cloaked with anonymity, I think there probably could be a tendency to maybe say things that are a little bit more inflammatory and perhaps not fear retribution or not fear that attestation can be established necessarily. Yeah. And so one of the questions is, you know, and that here's where the law gets a little, I don't know, it's maybe too strong to say, but almost gets a little crosswise with what we've historically said, which is that you ought to be accountable for what you say. And yet what we know, and again, we've talked about it on this show before, breaking through somebody's account name and finding out who actually said something is extremely difficult. Yeah, that's right? true. Because the, the, the government, and this, as an individual, you'd have no chance. If, if you don't like what a, somebody with a, a name said on Twitter and there's no real name there, you have zero chance of getting Twitter to tell you who that account right, that's was. That's true. You, the, so the pragmatic uh, or the reality there is that unless there is a search warrant or maybe, a, and it's usually going to be connected with the investigation of a crime. That's exactly right. It's not until then that you do be, get access to private information like that, that. That's right. So you think about Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all of these social media communication models. And as an individual to individual, you have no legal chance. No, not little, no legal chance of invoking some law that gives you the access to who actually said that. Now, you bring a lawsuit, you get a search warrant. I mean, if there is an allegation of a crime, what we found out is you have some legal chance, but even that is a really high standard. That's true. That is true. And the difficulty is then we get into the nuance of digital information on who owns it, whose account is it. You know, if, is it your Facebook account? Is it Facebook's account? And many of these social media companies have argued that they are not subject to those types of search warrants because it's, it's not their information. They're just the vehicle. They're just the lines and the data and the servers and that that it is not theirs to give. That's right. So I think what we see is that we have this huge concern that the internet has increased the risk of incivility. I think common sense says that when people are anonymous, they have a chance of, of speaking uh, you know, less civil than otherwise. And there's really no legal issue. So we talked to the first half. So with, yeah. between lawyers and in courts, there absolutely are rules that can be enforced. But on the internet, not so That's much. true. Well, the other thing that, that I wanted to take on too, Mitch, and you, you had already teased it too, is just the different forums. You know, we, we want to talk about professional uh, forums and environments and other social settings. Let's think of a few of them. So think about HR in any kind of a company. We'll call any it kind of an employment Acme setting. company sure. where there's several employees. Civility has got to be something that's monitored within the company. That's exactly right. The, cor the corporation has an obligation to provide a safe, non-hostile workplace. Right. But, but I'm talking about things that don't necessarily rise to the level of a crime, per se, or something that rises to the level of harassment. And I might be going old school here a little bit, but I'm thinking about things like just general ideals, manners, 
eye contact, using honey before vinegar, little things like that that I can recall my father saying. Well, that's exactly right. You know, there are, they, let me just, I know I tend to be a bit of a data wonk on this stuff, but there are studies about that as well, that it is not just an issue of civility. They have been able to measure the cost of incivility oh, the in the workplace. Let's take that on when we come back. Okay, so there's some data that you can toss out on the cost. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the law over Voice America. We're talking about civility. We'll be right back after this short break. Don't go away. Applying to Monterey College of Law is not hard, and we have a financial plan and class schedule that is tailored to meet your needs. I'm Wendy LaRiviere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true without crippling you with debt on graduation day. I chose Monterey College of Law because I wanted to continue working during the day. I had children at home and I wanted to be able to go to school at night where it wouldn't impact what my children needed from me. There really is not crippling debt that you face afterwards. Monterey College of Law has a payment plan which is manageable and they work with you. The other huge benefit of Monterey College of Law is that the professors are judges and lawyers. By taking their classes, you really actually start networking. So I was very fortunate because I also ended up with a mentor. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000 or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. For decades, the students at Monterey College of Law have graduated and gone on to pass the bar and become successful attorneys. However, not everyone goes to Monterey College of Law to become an attorney. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. We also offer students our two-year Master of Legal Studies degree, which can enhance their chosen careers. I was working as a deputy coroner for San Mateo County as a death scene investigator, and I wanted a better idea of the legal issues that were involved in forensic investigations. Everything about Monterey College of Law was accommodating to the uh, course of study I was trying to find. I graduated from Monterey College of Law with no outstanding debt. I'm working as an investigator for the San Mateo County Private Defender's Office, performing indigent defense investigations. For more information, call us today at 582-4000. That's 582-4000. Or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. That's montereylaw.edu. If you are a small business owner, you're subject to many of the same laws and regulations that apply to large corporations. Where do you go for help? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. SBA.gov is the website published by the Small Business Administration. It provides a wealth of information for small business owners, including employment and labor law, intellectual property law, online business laws and regulations, environmental regulations, workplace safety, and foreign worker eligibility. Of course, SBA.gov is not a replacement for having your own business attorney, but it is a free resource that may help you realize when you need to consult an attorney. SBA.gov. 
Have you thought about a law degree? Did you know you can attend an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo? And you can begin classes in May or in August. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions of San Luis Obispo College of Law. San Luis Obispo College of Law is a branch of Monterey College of Law, an accredited law school established 44 years ago. At San Luis Obispo College of Law, we have convenient evening classes, Mondays through Thursdays from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. We have a tuition rate guarantee program that freezes your tuition rate when you begin and protects you from annual tuition increases. We also have payment programs that allow you to make monthly payments or apply for private student loans. At San Luis Obispo College of Law, our faculty is composed of highly esteemed local lawyers and judges. If you've been thinking about a law degree, find out now if San Luis Obispo College of Law is your law school. Attend one of our information sessions and get answers to your questions. Or call me, Wendy Law Revere, at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org. That's slolaw.org. It is one thing to argue with your friends at the bar. But have you ever wondered what it would be like to argue in front of the United States Supreme Court? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. Oye.org, spelled O-Y-E-Z dot O-R-G, is a website published by the Free Law Project at Chicago Kent School of Law. You can go to Oye.org and listen to 60 years of actual oral arguments at the United States Supreme Court. Written summaries are provided for cases that go all the way back to 1789. Oye.org also provides biographical information on every United States Supreme Court justice and offers an online tour of the Supreme Court building. Go to Oye.org to see if you have what it takes to present a winning argument. Welcome back to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. We're talking about civility or incivility. And Mitch, I understand that incivility can be costly. You have some data. You raised the question about incivility at work and what the HR companies or HR departments do. And, and so there was a, a study done by uh, Weber Shandwick, which is a public affairs firm, did a, a study in 2013. And what they came up with is that managers and executives at the Fortune 1000 companies report that they spend 13 to 15% of their time, which is the equivalent of seven weeks a year, seven weeks a year doing nothing more than mending employee relationships in the aftermath of incivility. Wow, so that is an efficiency expert's wheelhouse right yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and so not, not only did you have the negative part, it then sucks out of the productivity of your executives and managers just to try to get it back. And you and I know that once, sometimes once those incidents happen, they might get everybody toned down or back at work, but but there's long-term repercussions. So here's some of the other things they reported that, you know, not only does it take seven weeks of managers to deal with it, but almost 50% of the people who had, had were the victim of incivility reported that it made them decrease their amount of time at work, that they, they felt, you know, discomfort. Um, 80% 
say they lost actual work time worrying about the incident. 80%. 63% lost work time avoiding the offender. Yeah, so you're talking about conduct that doesn't necessarily rise to the level of, let's say, a crime or a tort. Or even necessarily a sanction at work, you know, for being written up. I mean, this because this, incivility is just, you know, many people talk about it, just rudeness. Uh, so it's not rising to the level of maybe even violating the employee handbook, and yet executives and managers are having to deal with it. 80% lose report lost time. 66, two-thirds in this survey said that their performance directly declined based on this incident happening. And here's the part that an employer really ought to worry about. 78% said that their commitment to the company declined. Yeah, see, that's, wow. That's a, now you're that's talking a about brand. attrition, lost sure. workers. That's big-time residual impact when you're talking about impacting the brand and, and the impact that it has on... So let me give you the number on impacting the brand. So not only do you lose the employee, over a quarter of them admitted that they intentionally or inadvertently took their frustration out on customers. So I'm thinking about examples now, just Mitch, and I don't want to name the restaurant, but I think it's a fast food restaurant. And there was a spate of cases like this where there was very rude treatment of a customer. Do you recall what I'm getting no. at? I think it was maybe some kind of a racial slur. Okay. That that the clerk uh, or employee made to a customer. And then amends were made by that company. Uh, I can't remember the name of the company. It was a fast food company. Yeah. But so in this day and age, let's go back to the issue of social media contributing to this. So there was a time when that would have been a bad event. These things might have happened internally within the company. It could have gotten fixed. There, there are some costs. But now somebody gets mad. They post it on the Internet. It goes viral. And the whole world hears that story. So you talk about damaging your brand yeah. and changing customer behavior. It could, it could be, you know, we could be talking hundreds of millions of dollars of effect for a national corporation. Yeah, so... So we talked about it in the courtroom. So we, 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 we have rules and we, and we really rely on judges and I would say judges and senior partners in firms to, to manage the, the level of incivility within the legal system. Uh, you know, we've talked about it in the general population that there can be laws that actually could be broken to protect you. There are employment laws that protect you from a hostile workplace. But in every one of these cases, again, it's going to come back down to where you open this, the, this whole story, which is that isn't it really still an internal decision that each of us make? Because every one of these things lack a real clear enforcement. They do. And the other thing I'd add, Mitch, is that we also, uh, certainly as a trial lawyer, I can comment on the reliance that we have on one another to marshal civility. That's another issue that's really important because there are affirmative duties that trial attorneys have if they witness something that's improper. There could be affirmative duties to report that. For instance, an example would be reporting negative case law authority, even though it's not in your favor. I mean, the root behind that, that's right. the root behind that really is a form of civility and, and dignity exactly. and openness and candor and the things that you referenced earlier.
So that I, I think those are those are things that that you know I guess our bottom line is that we we need to self-regulate a lot of this, even though there are some rules about it. Um, you know, let's go back to schools for a moment because there's been plenty of stories about bullying in schools and and some thank goodness very few but some that have tragic outcomes so schools have a legal liability probably higher not probably their standard of care is higher than that of even an employer so we talked about an employer has some obligations to to protect employees from a hostile workplace and there are state and federal laws that give you rights to protect you from that and you could get monetary damages if there's a violation but schools particularly k-12 schools have what we call in loco parentis so they are standing in form of the parent to protect those students so teachers now become the arbiter of safety in the classroom i mean that's not new but in this modern era that's got to be a lot harder and there are legal responsibilities that come along with that yeah absolutely and they're and they're pretty complex and it's actually almost turned a lot of teachers into what is sometimes called mandatory reporters you know if they witness conduct and then from a liability standpoint uh, mitch the the issue becomes notice and awareness um, if a school administrator has knowledge and awareness that some kind of bullying activity is going on yet they look the other way and and we think about it, we go okay you know it happens now and again but i have another study here that talks that was a, a survey of parents and 62% of the parents surveyed reported that their children had experienced incivility at school um, this that's a huge number you know that's we're talking about two thirds two thirds so the you know the I, yeah, the, and what do they do about it? I guess just to finish this little, almost 20% of them, when they could, packed up their child and moved them to another school. It was to that level of concern. And so, you know, now you're talking about disruption of another kind, of disruption of education, disruption of the learning. Uh, so, it, you know, we started talking about people pick on lawyers about being mean and out of control and being mean to each other. I, my guess is that it's less likely of course we're biased but i think it's less likely that this is a huge problem in the courtroom compared to what the data is now showing is going on in classrooms and at work yeah and in schools around america that's true what i can share about incivility in the courtroom is that if there's a display of incivility incivility by one of the attorneys and it happens in front of jurors Jurors monitor that. They pick up on things like that. And even though the judge who's presiding in the case may choose not to intervene if a, one of the litigants' attorneys is acting up, the jury is sure monitoring it. And I mean, I've spoken with enough juries post-verdict and, and really gained a lot of wisdom from hearing their, their thought processes. They don't miss anything. Jurors are very, very... Uh, acutely aware of everything that goes on in the courtroom. So the the flip side of it is that you can be rewarded by civility, and you're talking about in the courtroom. Uh, this the study I was reporting earlier about workplace. You know, some of the companies now are actually giving 
positive rewards, recognizing it. They're actually building it into performance reviews. That's one of the measures. You know, we, we've heard about it in terms of you know, team building and teamwork, but, but they're really breaking out and talking about it Oh, this is the uh, uh, an employee's awarded a parking spot. Is that the story yeah, you're reading? Yeah, a parking spot. Some of them, they get gift cards. Incentives, little they incentives. Get, they get incentives, and an employee can recommend that another employee get it. So it's peer. So it's a, it's a pay-it-forward kind it, of it uh, is. It's, system. It's peer recognition of the benefit of civility within the workplace. That's great. All right, let's pick it back up after this break. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law, and we're talking about the topic of civility, and you're listening to us over uh, Voice America. Don't go away. We're taking a short break. Making a change in career is a serious decision that affects both you and your family. You have many questions that need to be answered before you can make a commitment. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true. And it's affordable. But don't take it from me. Hear what recent graduate Dan Cullum says. Before I was entering law school, I was an airline pilot. After I retired, I decided that I would go to law school. Monterey College of Law was the avenue to fulfill that desire. I loved Monterey College of Law. It was small classes. The professors were very helpful, personal. You could talk to them. Tuition is not exorbitant at Monterey College of Law, which is the opposite of the way it is at other places. It's affordable. They have a, a program at Monterey College of Law that lets you pay as you go, so it's financially possible. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000 or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. Long before Woody's cruised Beach Street, kids and teens have needed to know that they are important and that they belong. Since 1969, the Boys and Girls Club of Santa Cruz has provided a place where potential is released and great futures are forged. Help celebrate our 45th anniversary by emailing your club memories and pictures to celebrate 45 years at boysandgirlsclub.info or call 423-3138, extension 23. We are also excited to announce that Monterey College of Law is providing one full tuition law school scholarship each year to a former Boys and Girls Club participant. Contact Executive Director Bob Langseth at 423-3138, extension 21, or email bob at boysandgirlsclub.info to learn more about this exciting opportunity. Consumer scams, fraud, deceptive business practices. Where do you go for protection? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. FTC.gov is the website published by the Federal Trade Commission. As the nation's consumer protection agency, the FTC wants to know about businesses that cheat people out of money. If you've been the victim of consumer fraud, you should file a complaint at FTC.gov. 
Although the FTC's Bureau of Consumer Protection will not help you recover your individual damages, your complaint may initiate an investigation that results in companies or individuals being sued by the government for fraud, deceptive practices, or unfair business practices. If you want more information about how to protect yourself as a consumer, go to the Bureau of Consumer Protection at ftc.gov. Are you ready to start law school now? If you've just graduated from college or are thinking of changing your career, now is the time to take that first step. Slow College of Law is accepting applications for May 2016. San Luis Obispo College of Law is an accredited branch of the Monterey College of Law School founded 43 years ago. You can get a law degree from an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo. Their highly esteemed faculty is comprised of local judges and lawyers. San Luis Obispo College of Law classes are held conveniently in the evenings and the campus is conveniently located in downtown San Luis Obispo. Let the professionals show you how to make becoming a lawyer a reality. Make today the first step in changing your life. Attend an information session and get answers to your questions. Call Dean of Admissions Wendy Law Revere at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org for more information. That's slowlaw.org. The U.S. Constitution has recently created national headlines in the debate about filling the vacancy created by the sudden death of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. The president and certain members of Congress are at odds about what the Constitution requires when there's a vacancy on the Supreme Court. Who is right? And how can everyday citizens be informed enough to know the answer? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. ConstitutionCenter.org is a website published by the National Constitution Center. The center was established by Congress to provide information about the United States Constitution on a nonpartisan basis. If you want information about the Constitution's history and what it means today, go to ConstitutionCenter.org and form your own opinion about the law. Back to Wagner and Winnick on the law. We've been talking today about civility, in some cases incivility. And with respect to the profession of law, Mitch, one thing I wanted to return to was the American Bar Association rules obviously have uh, dictates that reach the issue of zealous advocacy, the, the, the well, duty. A, you know, that's a good point, because there's been a lot of discussion about whether zealous advocacy is the is really the vehicle that allows you to cross this line yeah. of civility that, you know, I'm entitled to be this way because I must do it on behalf of my client, right? right? Is that, that what you're getting absolutely. at? Absolutely. I'm getting at the tension point, and the ABA actually addresses that, and it's the tension between zealous advocacy and civility. Okay. You know, the, the, a common misnomer, and I, I think I, I don't mind playing MythBuster on this one, is that you can have a win-at-all-costs mentality or mantra and run roughshod over rules of civility. You can't do that. Obviously, there's an affirmative duty to zealously represent your client to your best abilities throughout. But at the same time, the rules are very, very precise on the issue of maintaining decorum and civility. And I can quote from one, one section that I think is, 
is really pretty telling. And it reads, appropriate zeal, however, never extends to offensive tactics or treating people with discourtesy or disrespect. It's interesting. It is, it is, in, it is interesting. And, and that is not only limited, and again, we've talked about the, the wide scope of this. Let me just make a leap here from that, which is very clear put. You go back to Roman, the Roman Empire, and here, here's a discussion of civility related to the Roman Empire that goes to the exact point that you just made. It says that the, you know, the Romans believed in honest debate, civility in the streets, and treating adversaries with respect, which is exactly what you're talking about. So whether it's adversaries in a, in a debate or adversaries in a legal setting, even if defeating them in battle. They say historians look at the fall of the Roman Empire and try to explain why. What happened? I mean, here you had this dominant empire that was that had, you know, art and uh, had art and philosophy, and it's the foundation of so much of what we respect now. And yet the empire failed. And what they report is that many see that the loss of the civil society in Rome, that the loss of those principles. Of, of honest debate, civility in the streets, treating adversaries with respect, were the very values that they left behind and cost the loss, of the the fall of the Roman Empire. Yeah. So I mean, I mean that if that's not a stark reminder that you could essentially be ruling the world and civility could be the unpinning. Sure, of great example that. of the degradation that was caused there, and the same thing probably holds true in the practice of law, Mitch. The, the, the practitioners that do always honor the need to be civil are probably going to get more business, if you want to think about it that way. They're going to get more business, and Ed, I'll just throw one like, slight addition on one of the things that you know, we've seen in practicing all these years. You know, nobody is perfect, and there will always come a time when you might have made a mistake in your zealous representation of your client and you need a little leeway to make good. And that's probably true in the court. That is true in life. That is true in your discussion of politics and everything else. And if you have been unwilling to show respect for the others, the odds of you catching a break on that are pretty much zero. That's true. And if you've shown that type of balance and respect, the odds of being able to be given a little bit of break allowed to fix something you inadvertently misstated or misrepresented. Karma. Karma. Oh, there you is go. Is it karma? It, it I think you're talking of, about karma. It is karma. So so as we wrap up this, I, I would like to throw out a challenge here because I think, let's, let's leave this on an up note. Uh, and I'm taking this from the National Institute for Civil Discourse. This is a nonpartisan center for advocacy. And it throws out these five rules for citizens related to civility. Number one, be respectful of others in speech and behavior. Number two, take responsibility for personal behavior, attitude, and actions. Number three, promote civility through everyday interactions. Number four, listen fully and attentively to the speaker, seeking to understand them. And number five, which goes to what we talked about earlier, Practice nonviolence using words to inspire change. And I'd have to believe that if we could take this to heart as, in this case, they're suggesting to citizens, but make some effort to impose this on our 
public servants, whether it's in the local, county, state, or shall we say even congressional or presidential elections, that that would have to be better That's for all of us. That's a very good note, Mitch. And I noted when you were reading those, those five that they seemed to pull from ideals that were very well articulated by Aristotle, President Kennedy, Mahatma Gandhi. There must be some truth to those. I think that's exactly right. Let's finish with a, a statement by Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi, easy for me to say. Civility does not mean the mere outward gentleness of speech cultivated for the occasion, but an inborn gentleness and desire to do the opponent good. Doesn't that really cross across everything that's we've been great. talking about no, today? That's really, really good. So we, we finish on a note where we're talking about some ideals that we should all strive to so I think sometimes people think lawyers are all wrapped up in the in the process, but sometimes we're thinking about the the greater good and the the overarching principles that that keep a balance in our society. That's, and I think this is one of those topics. That's absolutely right, Mitch. It was a good topic to take on. <laughs> that's great. So Stephen, we'll have to come up with another challenging topic for next week. You know, we're still in the election zone. We're, we're wrapping up presidential, but we've got a congressional. Uh, we've got a congressional term that's going to start. We have all kinds of Supreme Court cases that are coming forward. We still have the uncertainty of the 4-4 tie going on that's in the right. Supreme Court. How long will we be with eight justices? I think we're going to have to bring that forward and discuss that as well. That's great. Thanks for the civil discourse, Mitch. Stephen, always. It's a pleasure to have it with you. Everyone's been listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. You're listening to us on KSCO 1080 and voiceamerica.com. A reminder that you can hear an archive of today's show on wagnerandwinnick.com and voiceamerica.com. Until next week, please remember, if you don't know the law, know a lawyer. in a forum with judges, lawyers, and policy experts answering your questions and discussing your personal rights within the legal system. Law School Dean Mitchell Winnick, along with law professor Stephen Wagner, will discuss the sometimes ever-changing laws and policies to keep you in the know. Listen every Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern, on Voice America Business. If you don't know the law, know a lawyer. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.